leading with authenticity and not the role you're playing might not be a perfect match. And I think then we just have to become more discerning of when we're wearing the mask and the costume and when we can take it off. But I think a lot of us are wearing the mask and the costume, but we actually don't even know it's a mask or a costume. We're believing that's who we are. Welcome to Too Legitimate to Quit, instantly actionable small business strategies with a pop culture spin. I am your host, Annie P. Ruggles, and my guest today is the soothing and refreshing Greg Whiting. Greg Whiting is a healer who helps leaders and entrepreneurs heal the anxiety, depression, chronic pain, and trauma they can't think or talk their way out of. He's the founder of Prisma a framework overlaying trauma, neuroscience, and energy medicine with somatic and mindfulness-based practices. He developed this while healing his own anxiety, depression, and chronic pain rooted in trauma. This included unraveling a severe spinal curvature and standing three inches taller today. Over the last two decades, Greg has helped thousands heal through his one-on-one practice and has certified hundreds of healthcare professionals in his methodology. His new online course and community now make healing practical and accessible to all. Greg, the sun is shining here in Chicago. I'm not sure. I didn't ask if it's shining in San Francisco, but it is shining here and it's Friday. And eventually you and I are going to talk about fish. What could be better except the opportunity to ask you the question, what do small business owners need to focus on this week? I will always default to slow down, just slow down and just catch your breath. I can't even subscribe to the the whole idea of hustle culture and just getting wrapped up our identity around what we do. Just having some fun, you know, living your life. I always get so gloriously, delightfully pissed off when the words that come out of the beautiful mouths on this show say things that I need to hear as things that to focus on this week. I don't know. I don't know if it's my ego. I don't know if I'm a raging narcissist or what. But anytime somebody's (laughs) like, oh, you need to insert extremely profound thing that I know I need to focus on, but I'm not doing here or just totally blow my mind on my own podcast. I'm like, damn it. (laughs) I'm glad we're talking about this, Greg. I got to be totally honest. I am sick as crap this week. I'm glad only you can see me. I'm not normally a super appearances driven person, but I kind of have some kind of vague rodent look going on this week because I'm sick. And I even then, even with with a real diagnosis and actual symptoms, I found it so hard not even to stop. I didn't ask myself to stop. I found it so freaking hard to slow down. 
even to just give myself the space to slow down. Am I cuckoo? Am I alone in that? Or do we have a real problem with resting? You're not cuckoo. You're not alone in that. If anything, I want to like normalize it. I, I want to also highlight that, you know, I think there's a, a big cost to that. I think we were at a place in our culture that there's been a lot of payoff to that, right? But I think the cost is starting to outweigh the payoff. So it's like, how do we, how do we renegotiate? How do we, how do we find another way? Um, and that's, there's no one writer that doesn't, that looks different for each of us, right? And the, the tipping point is going to strike each of us at a, at, a, at a different place and a different pain point. Uh, okay, two things. <laughs> Number one, the cost is starting to outweigh the payoff. Oh my goodness. Has there ever been a better description of the toxic side of entrepreneurship or the toxic side of small business ownership, which takes myriad forms, which we do not have time to go into all of those things. But across that, if we were going to take a cross section, the cost is starting to outweigh the payoff. That's what happens when we undercharge. That's what happens when we adopt other people's practices that make us feel gross. That's what happens when we don't re-enroll people that are eager for it. That's what happens in all these different ways when we don't self-prioritize and we don't rest. You're right. We allow the cost to outweigh the payoff. And what really sucks is that we determine the cost and our cut of it, right? Like we're pulling the purse strings and setting the prices here. Ugh, damn it. <laughs> you know, but if we start to unpack that, it's like how many of us have built our success from a trauma response, right? And how many of us are leading mm -hmm. trauma response? And that has maybe helped us survive some really harsh circumstances, right? Some really fucked up lived experiences. So we kind of want to honor, we want to honor those mechanisms that have gotten us here. Right, we're alive. Here, right, but even, but, but here is now a mess. So, <laughs> you know, so we want to honor that it got us here, you know, but then how much of our identity is organized around what got us here? So, it can feel really threatening to think of moving forward without that identity because it's like, well, then who am I if I'm if I'm not moving forward from that trauma response? And that that takes a lot of courage to start to explore. Heck, yes, especially when you're already wearing nine hundred thousand occupational hats on top of that self-exploration. Right. Especially if you're already got 87,000 pots on the stove and then you got to stop in the middle of it and be like, it's an unsubscribe. Why is this so painful? Let's not dwell in it, but let's figure it out. See what in my actual life is fueling this weird, weird need to refresh and see who's unsubscribing. Y'all don't look, don't look at who's unsubscribing. Take it from me, please don't. Uh, but but you know, I think you're totally right. And and I wanna I wanna hearken something that you just said, which I thought was so brilliant because it blew my mind, which is why I'm totally babbling right now, which is trauma has affected our definition of success. Now I talk a lot about 
metrics of success, right? Like what our buyers are going to see if they know that working with you is successful or how to know if your business is eventually going to be profitable within a reasonable blah, 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 right? But how have you seen trauma positively and negatively? Because trauma can also give us some gifts, like you said, as we grow and evolve through it. How have you seen trauma shape our understanding of what it means to be a successful small business owner or entrepreneur? Yeah, I'm just thinking of one client who, you know, ran a very successful um, real estate business. Um, and that that trauma response, they were just always in this like fight mode. They were like just in nonstop beast mode that did right by them until it didn't, right? Until lots of other things started to kind of break down in their lives. But there was just such a terror to like, well, but if I if I stop this mode of being, if I stop this drive, like I'm not going to be able to keep up. Yes. A lot of healing is like affording us a little space to maybe have a new experience that, you know, our mind is telling us that experience will be the death of us. But then we have that experience and the repair comes when we realize wait, that wasn't the death of me. And actually I didn't, I didn't lose business. I didn't lose a sale and I actually got more sleep. Right. Oh, and I actually, and my relationship didn't fall apart. And, you know, so that's the repair because, you know, the lie of trauma tells us we can't unless we do this, 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 and this. And I think the truth of healing is we can without all the things we think we have to do. You know, there's just dropping into just more of a place of, of being. Um, but how much of how much of our work is us posturing? You know, and all of this it goes back to early development, right? We we learned early on, and so much of this is pre-verbal, that we need to be something for someone else to get our needs met. So we have to perform. We have to perform parts of ourselves or hide parts of ourselves to get our needs met to survive. and. We, we, we've got to reach a point in our lives when we have to question if that's actually true. Um, and, you know, there may be certain industries and certain positions and roles where, yeah, leading with authenticity and not the role you're playing might not be a perfect match. And I think then we just have to become more discerning of when we're wearing the mask and the costume and when we can take it off. But I think a lot of us are wearing the mask and the costume, but we actually don't even know it's a mask or a costume. We're believing that's who we are. Well, and I'm an introvert. Just because it's authentic doesn't mean it's not exhausting. Like, this is real me, baby. Pre-chat episode in a Target, you know, out to dinner. This is me. Normally, like I said, I try to look a little bit more put together. But pretty seamless experience. And it took a lot of therapy and self-awareness and work and Burning Man to get to this point, y'all. It took a lot of unfolding and I still have work to do. But I hear sometimes this idea of like this, this mentality of uh, it's like the new spin on if you do what you love, you'll never work a day in your life. And it's like, if you just show up authentically, it'll just flow. And I'm like, yo, I have a pop culture, small business podcast where I can say whatever the heck I want. How do I show up more authentically than that? This podcast is still work, though. So what do you think about this concept, this buzzword? Understandable, admirable, important, 
But from a mental health standpoint, what are the highs and lows of this this concept, this phenomenon, this dedication we have to authenticity? Yeah, I, I think there's a lot of memes out there that are telling us that it's this end all be all. But, you know, I, I think of just in the space of mental health, so much of the work is just to broaden our window of tolerance so we can navigate navigate the challenges of life. And I, I think no matter how much of a flow state we're in, life is going to be challenging. And, you know, we're still going to sometimes lose access to like our our upper brain and default to kind of these survival, you know, impulses. And I think the work is then how quickly can we recover? And, you know, the remembering, I think there's a dance of expansion and contraction. A dance of expansion and contraction. Number one, sounds like a George R. R. Martin novel. Number two, needs to be the title <laughs> of your next book. Number three, that's just a damn good phrase. I had to interrupt you to just call that out. Please continue the gorgeousness. Well, and so I think a lot of these like calls to authenticity kind of romanticize just the the, the embodiment of this expansive state. And then the identification to that and then the attachment to that. And so I think there's a lot of like bypassing then of like, then, you know, we should never have the contraction. And it's like, no, we need to build in an awareness of the expansion and the contraction. And, you know, like this ebb and flow, it's like we find flow by leaning into the ebb, not by leaning out. Right. And so it's like, we can't resist what is. And part of what is, is going to be the friction that comes from showing up authentically, right? Showing up authentically isn't like a magic bullet. And again, I, I was having a, a conversation with a, a colleague the other day, and I think there's going to be some times in our role of responsibility where we may need to lead more with responsibility than authenticity. <gasps> and again, it's just not, it's registering that, that the role, the responsibility is not the truth of who we are. Um, so as long as we're clear on that, we still may need to step into some responsibility. I think authenticity is how we navigate all of this inside ourselves. It's not necessarily what we wear on our sleeve. Are you a poet? Listen to you just dropping this poetry right and left. My goodness. <laughs> how am I supposed to interview you when you keep blowing my mind? Unfair. I am really struck by this idea of responsibility. It's come up a lot in my life this year to the point where I kind of got to recognize the pattern that I'm hearing about this a lot and yet not enough, right? Like I'm hearing about this in circles that I trust. I hear about this from people I respect, but I'm not hearing about it on this wide scale. So uh, earlier this year, I was fortunate enough to take a certification in a program called Trauma of Money. Um, put out by an amazing team led by Chantal Chapman out of Canada. Um, and it's absolutely stunningly gorgeous. Um, and it got real and it got deep. Like we were talking about it all. There were sessions about credit card repair right next to sessions about pricing and the challenges of that for descendants of slavery. Like it got intense. And rightly so, but stuff was said. And and the thing that came up, which I thought was really important when stuff got real is they said, you know, safe places are a nice dream, but you can't guarantee that. You can't promise 
that you're making a safe space because you cannot control every variable that that would require. However, what you can do is take action to be a responsible space and to own and create a responsible space and to maintain and grow a responsible space and respond as a responsible space. And I just was so struck by that because I was one of these people out here in my membership. Oh, we're a safe place. We're a safe place for people of color. We're a safe place for trans people. We're a safe place, safe place. No, we're not. I try to be an ally. That doesn't mean I can promise you a safe space. Similarly, are you going to think what I'm giving you is authentic or not? I can at least be responsible in what I'm putting out on my platform. I can at least be intentional in that way. So all this rant to say, tell me more about this idea of, of emotional or mental responsibility and, and its importance for people that, that are thought leaders, new or emerging or established. Well, I think from especially what you just shared, I think it's about a feedback loop, right? And I pride myself on my capacity to, you know, create and hold safe space. And yet that's through my lens and my definition, right? So unless I'm open to what that means for others and what others, you know, what others are experiencing in that space, what that is, is then a co-creation, right? So I look at leadership as having the capacity to regulate the collective nervous system, but that's by really deeply navigating and understanding our own nervous system and then having the capacity to attune to what's happening in, you know, the nervous system of those, you know, that are also present and how do you respond to that, right? And again, it's another dance. I think there's no one way, right? That's a delicate, that's a delicate experience. You know, I, I was once a teacher's assistant at um, my friend, um, Professor Amy Cooper. She was teaching a trauma course at the California Institute of Integral Studies. And it was, it was that balance between, well, we have curriculum that we need to cover, um, but it is also curriculum that's very, you know, is going to bring up traumatic content for folks. So how do we hold space for people's traumatic content? And how do we also share the curriculum, you know, and really we're here to share curriculum. We're going to do our best to hold space here. And there, there, there's a tension in that. So how do we hold that tension? That's tricky business. <laughs> That's tricky business. Heck yes. But that to your previous point is part of slowing down, checking in with yourself, checking in with it all, allowing yourself the space to function properly at a bare minimum. Right before proceeding, before making promises, before connecting people, before all of it. <sighs> all right. So you have this idea about holding space for other people's trauma. And, and I think that that is so unbelievably key. What I'm really moved to talk to you about right now really stems from my time as a brand copywriter and brand strategist for small business owners, service providers, lots of healers, especially healers. And I know you yourself identify as a healer. So let's get real about healers and, and something in the healing coaching space that scares me. And I'd love to get your take on it. One of the things that I see encouraged all the time are masochistic re-traumatizing about pages where 
I see people answer the call. We were talking about authenticity, right? We were talking about vulnerability and bravery a bit, right? But I I see these healers who are so well-intentioned and so open-hearted and also still in the process of healing themselves in many slash most cases. And I see them follow the information given to them and, and obey the assignment as I will tell you on my about page, a, a laundry list of all the times in my life that I have been traumatized all the details of those traumas that I'm able to impart to you and boundaries be damned. And I see this all the time. And so one of the things that I'm doing, it's kind of interesting with corporate people, when I look at their about pages, I'm like, show me a little more, show me a little more. It's okay. 10% more, 10% more. A healer brings me an about page and I'm like, babe, the internet is not your therapist. Whoa. Whoa, like I'm I'm I admire the vulnerability here. I admire the bravery here, but I've had people name their abusers by name <laughs> with photos on an about page. So whoa, 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 whoa. Can we clarify the assignment of what it means to show up as a healer and own our story? And, and find the joy or the value in our trauma after the fact without doing this. What the heck? Do you see these pages? Do you know what I'm talking about? Because this drives me bonkers and makes me sad simultaneously. Fortunately, I haven't seen pages to that extent. What comes to mind is I, I do think, and you know, I could speak for myself. I, I, I work in this world because I've had to do a lot of my own work in this world. So I do share, you know... Mm-hmm. The, I do share the wisdom that's come from my own hard lived experience. You know, I think the more I have mined the gold from my unresolved trauma, the more I can really just transmit the gold and the wisdom on the other side without having to get into the details, right? Yes. That's what I always tell my clients. Your details are your own. What matters is the emotional specificity or the moral. Keep going, Greg. Yeah. And if I were to map my own journey, you know, I, I'd say my copy now is more clear and concise than it's ever been. So, you know, I think that's just different healers and healthcare providers just on their own journey. Right. And and hopefully that's and hopefully that is a journey of refinement and not, you know, and continues to evolve. You know, but I will say there is with my work with one on one clients and students, I am very transparent with different parts of my lived experience. But it's very intentional and it's with consent. You know, I have with clients that I've worked with long term, I'll say, hey, can I can I can I tell you a story that, you know, I think will really help you see that where you're at right now, that I'm sensing you're feeling very isolated and alone and misunderstood. And as if, you know, there's no one that's been through that. Can I share a story that can relay like, hey, like I've been there and now this is what I've gleaned from that. But again, that's always consent based, right? Even with clients, yes. even with clients who are like, no, every story you tell me is profoundly useful. You don't even have to ask for permission. I still ask for permission, right? Because the next moment they may be in a different headspace, right? And so it's always with a, a very clear intent. Yeah. And the story then is very much about them. It's not about me at that point in time. See, but that right there 
is a gorgeous copywriting hack, right? Because I've also seen about pages with trigger warnings on them. And I'm like, y'all, would you have to, would you feel the need to ask permission before disclosing something on your about page? And that permission extends to the reader and the other people affected by the details you share. And the yeah, other people by the details you share. That's there's brilliant. a time and a place. And sometimes there's not a time. <laughs> well, sometimes there's not a time. I mean, like, I have been on so many freaking podcasts, and I will tell you straight up with brutal honesty about the times that I damn near voluntarily manslaughtered my business through various forms of overwork work or neglect largely self-neglect. I will tell you that. And I will be brutally honest about what the rock bottom floor of failure feels like because I've been there, right? But I'm not telling you every single, 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 single detail of what that struggle was like for me. Like you said, I'm teaching or sharing the lessons I learned during that. I'm sharing the emotions because emotions are what are resonant. I don't need to name my ex-lovers and their social security numbers for y'all to get to the point that I've seen some shit. Yeah. Like it, you know? 100%. And then on the flip, now things really get convoluted and messy in that same job in that same capacity where I was having to tell people you do not need to name your abuser you do not need to include photos of your abuser you do not need to include court details about your abuser in your about page my goodness I also had people in that same program coming to me and saying Annie I don't have any trauma. Is that okay? I don't know what to write about on my about page because I don't have any trauma. What? Okay. Okay. So two healers without trauma. Will you please reassure them that they're still like viable, marketable healers, please? They need to hear it from you. I think the essence of who we are. I mean, I, I do feel like pain can inform us but um mm -hmm. it certainly shouldn't define us and so yeah. there's the, and you know i think the value of what we offer is um you know coming from a, a place of presence right and so then you know <sighs> stories stories become less consequential it's really how are we how are we holding a certain vibration a certain energy that is calling to people right um, it's really just understanding kind of the the arc of transformation or the journey that we're we're taking people on, right? And that's that's more understanding. That's really understanding who we're here to help. Yes, it's not about you. It's about them. You're brilliant. You're so good for my nervous system. I could totally see why you do what you do. There have been several times during this episode where I'll get all riled up and I'll be like, wait, breathe. <laughs> So, we're just like, okay. We're just going to ride like a wave. I just need to regulate. <laughs> just hold on. Hmm. I mean, it's just only because I'm so excited and you're you're just bringing it so beautifully. And, and I'm just delighted to get to ask you the next question. But before I do, listener, I encourage you to join me in regulating your nervous system. You too, Greg, with just a nice deep breath. 
<laughs> okay, that being done, uh, oxygen being consumed. Greg, what the heck does any of this have to do with fish? <laughs> <laughs> for me, fish was an entry point for my healing. You know, before I knew I was on a healing path, before I knew I needed the support of healing, um, fish was a salvation um, in terms of just the improvisational nature and the experimental nature, you know, and I, cause I look at healing as an improv and an experiment and there, you know, we're tapping into the unknown We're we're broadening our capacity to live in uncertainty. Right. And in doing so, we're kind of tapping into the, the eddies and currents of our depths and the parts of us that may be rather shallow and, you know, the d- different textures that, um, you know, the parts of us that are shining bright and, you know, the depths of our shadow and our darkness. And I, I just find improvisational music and fish has just helped me tap into and explore so many different parts of myself that I, you know, and that's so much of how I work is with energy medicine, which I feel like helps us tap into the subconscious and unconscious that we can't otherwise, you know, think or talk our way through that that content, um, you know, it's more of a felt experience. It's more of an energetic experience. And so, yeah, when I was introduced to fish just in my, I guess it was my freshman year in college, you know, along with so many of the healing practices then that, that I've later come to tap into, it's like I had found something I didn't even know I was looking for. And, you know, the music became a vehicle for me to, yeah, um, start to inhabit and start to explore and get to know parts of myself that otherwise, you know, weren't that readily available. That's just freaking gorgeous. I mean, personally, so full disclosure, I have not been to a fish show. I have heard several live tapes. I have not been to a fish show. Um, but I love the way that you mentioned it as like a entry point for healing. Um, Burning Man, which has been compared to fish and fish to Burning Man, uh, was certainly that for me. And one thing that I've heard about friends who follow fish that I can relate to is the feeling of having a really pure, whole, self-centric experience while understanding that you are surrounded by a community of people that are doing the same thing, right? So that feeling of having a moment of deep healing surrounded by people having a moment of deep healing, whether they acknowledge it as deep healing or not. And and I think it's so interesting because isn't that what your brand can be for a healer? Can't it be a moment of declaration of healing for you and something that galvanizes people around you and empowers them to do the same. I just think that that's such a beautiful metaphor for what a healer's business can be. I love that. Yeah. I mean, there, cause yeah, I feel that journey is so individual, so unique, um, so personal and yet also so universal. And so, yeah, just like, you know, when you're in, you know, a community of, you know, meditators, you know, you're, you start to create a a vibrational field, right? And that field of awareness begets more awareness, right? And flow begets more flow. So, you know, you kind of get in, you become entrained in these, in these rhythms, you know, and in this consciousness that 
becomes a, a current that you can really work with. Flow begets more flow. What a gorgeous mantra you just said. Flow begets more flow. <laughs> but it's true. Yeah. Right? Because it's not, it's kind of interesting where I love the book Flow by Macaulay Chucks at Mihai. I love that. I love the book. I love the concept. I love all of that. However, I don't know enough to know about, you know, like how long lasting or transferable flow is. I haven't done enough research. Maybe, you know, but I think what you said before about improv and just allowing, even if you're in a collaboration or if you're solo, but just allowing things to happen. It's not completely free form. If they know that they're in this key, they're probably going to stay in that key or modulate to a key that works. They're not all playing in different time signatures. They have to make music together. They have to work in within the constraints of each other, just like we have to work in within the constraints of our industry. And yet I feel after I've had or witnessed a peak flow experience, I do feel it easier to tap into that open, expansive space in myself for like weeks. Do you have that experience? Do you have this lingering flow? And how the heck do we explain that? Is it just inspiration? I'll go with that. I like that. I mean, I, <laughs> well, for me, and I think there is something I said about, you know, why in terms of my healing practices, why it's a practice, right? So I keep tending to that. I keep nourishing it, right? So then that kind of becomes more established as a baseline. Trauma has a certain vibrational pattern, right? And, you know, I think then it help, it orients the mind to the limitation of that pain, of that contraction, where healing orients our mind to kind of the vibration of possibility, which, yeah, I think... Yeah. In terms of motivation and inspiration, we're often motivated to get away from pain, but we're more inspired to move towards, you know, pleasure or to purpose. Right. So I, I think that motivation is useful for the, the sprint. And I think inspiration is is more useful for the marathon. For me, you know, all of my practices. And again, I'd argue that seeing fish and like other things that bring me joy, you know, not just like a healing practice that I think so many people have such rigid seriousness around their healing practice. And, you know, for me, like how much play is at the heart of my healing practices, right? So music and pleasure and naps and sex, like there's so many, there's so much more than just energy medicine and mindfulness, right? It's, it's like, you know, what, what, what brings us to life? What connects yeah. us to that? And then what helps sustain it, right? Yeah, we can ride that wave for only so long until we maybe need to charge it up some more. I feel like we could take over some government somewhere on a platform of just naps and sex. Like <laughs> fish, naps and sex. Jam bands, naps and sex. Somebody would pick up on it. Okay, it'd get real hippy, hippy dippy real fast and maybe hopefully not a little borderline mantony, but we'd figure it out. We're hippies. It's <laughs> it's what we do. Um I I really really love that and and everything you said about really allowing the inspiration, allowing the motivation, not cutting it off, 
okay, so you're you're at a fish show or you're jamming out to a live tape. You are in the midst of like a 19 minute solo. How often does fish jam on the minor key or how often do they get dark? Are the shows do the shows stay pretty boppy and sunshiny or or do they go there? I, I you know, I'd say Every show is unique. I think every tour, you know, every year has a different signature, a different flavor. But then, yeah, there's like, so there's like these micro and macro vibes and trends. And and that's a piece of fish. It's like sometimes they take you someplace and it's like, was what they were throwing out dark or did that just touch upon some dark <laughs> with me? Right. But that's yes. the beautiful thing about being yes. in the collective, too, because then you check in with your friends and you're like, whoa, like what just took place like in that Harry Hood and like set two, like and then you start to get some feedback. It's like, oh, yeah, that was dark, you know. And so then it's like that's how many of us are tapping into that on the collective, but like on the, you know, within our own lived experience. For me, they I just love how they can then pop you out of that. Right. It's like. I just think of healing as we like have to stretch the bow and arrow back into some of the dark regressive places to then, you know, shoot that arrow forward. Right. And so that, that the tension that lies within that. And so for me, the music has helped me kind of explore that tension within myself and, you know, find joy and pleasure in that tension. Right. Or, you know, the, I think the music becomes a thread that, I can hold on to through that tension, right? So it becomes a vehicle that I can ride um, through that tension. So it kind of creates a container or a context that without that music or without the support of a healing practice, we might not know how to lean into that tension, right? So then that, then instead of the acceptance comes the, re- the resistance, you know, the aversion. You also just modeled such a strong and beautiful coaching or a coaching technique, especially for people that are healers that also identify as coaches, where you just said, that was really dark for me. Was that dark for you? Just opening up the floor to talk about your experience, mm-hmm. right? And and that includes the stuff in the past, like we were talking about with trauma, but also the stuff we're living right now, right? Wow, that got heavy. Checking in. Y'all okay? Let's take a breath. That was dark for me. Was that dark for you? I love that. All right. Opposite of dark. I got two more questions for you, and then I'm going to send you on your jam-packed Friday. (laughs) My first question for you, I mean, supplemental clarification question first, uh, just for my morbid curiosity of shaping this question only. Do you consume dairy products? Not often, but I, you know, there was was some feta in a salad I had last night, but yeah, on usually I don't purchase dairy but I'm never rigid about these things. Like then if I'm on vacation and I want to have right there, you're flowing it out. Look at this. I have no hard rules. I have certain things (laughs) that are more daily baselines. It's like, yeah, like on average, I don't eat dairy, but you know what? Okay. So it's like never in my fridge unless maybe I'm having like, you know, friends over for a dinner and then I'll enjoy it. All right. So you can pick, you can pick. Based on whether you're splurging or not, and you can answer this question accordingly, okay? doesn't matter to me if you're splurging or not. My deep knowledge of fish pretty much is wrapped up in the Ben & Jerry flavor fish food, of which many of us (laughs) have consumed quite a bit. If Ben & Jerry and their infinite loveliness 
We're going to name an ice cream flavor after you and the amount of sugar and the amount of dairy that they have non-dairy and sugar-free options. Like, it, they exist. So you can pick. But if Ben and Jerry were going to name an ice cream flavor after you and your work, what would the name of that ice cream flavor be? It probably would not be the best name for ice cream. Uh, it would be kind of confusing. But I just feel like so much of the essence that, that comes through when I feel like my clients are just I feel like having these breakthroughs and just this reorganization from like the calcification of pain and hurt to like the openness of possibility um, <laughs> is warm and soft. So it'd be like a soft, a soft serve, but like, you know, like just thought the thawing out of the deep freeze. So like warm and soft is just. <laughs> You've just started a whole new product line for Ben and Jerry's. We've skipped over the cookie dough bites that they've pulled out of the ice cream. We've now gone to melted soft serve <laughs> in a cup. I love it. So if Ben and Jerry and all of our listeners need to know how to start a conversation with you, Greg, where do they go? Anywhere. GregWhiting.com, PrismaMethod.com, Greg underscore Whiting over at Instagram. I'm happy to talk. Folks can jump in, you know, to an online course and community, which provides kind of a trauma and neuroscience roadmap. It provides kind of the travel companions the somatic and mindfulness-based practices are like the GPS, and then the energy medicine is the vehicle. So I have all of that provided in an online container and community just to make healing really accessible. And I I usually have limited availability and to for folks to work with me one-on-one, -on -one, and that's a nine to 12-month um, journey. That, so I'm always available for a conversation just because that's where we can really see if there's a resonance, you know, if we're on the same page and you know, more than anything, I think the, the healing work is about the relationship, less about the modality, right? So, yeah, I just like to have a conversation and let's see if we if we vibe. Heck yes. Well, it has been such a beautiful pleasure for me to be vibing with you for the last 44 minutes. Greg, thank you so much for being my guest today. Thanks, Annie. Have a beautiful day. Y'all, I'm going to take another deep breath and I will be back in just a second with my final thought and your homework for this week. Well, hey there. In a great article for Thrillist titled Your Friend's Fish Obsession Explained, film critic, writer, and diehard fish fan Jordan Hoffman explains, if all you listen to is commercial radio, you've never heard a fish song. Isn't that a remarkable idea? This band with so much name recognition that their greatest triumphs, the things that people literally devote their entire lives to, happen offline in the real world. They're meant to be experienced and held in the heart for years to come, but repeatable? No. You simply had to be there. Now, although we still need to be careful about COVID and monkeypox and all that other stuff, for heaven's sake, I'm feeling so compelled to make some magic in the real world this week, or in the very least, on a platform other than Facebook, email, or Zoom. Events take time to plan, collaborations take time to form, but so much magic can come out of a simple one-person-to-one-person -one -person interaction. 
Your homework this week is to have a conversation with another human being. Peer, pal, or mentor is entirely up to you, but like not your toddler, okay? That's cute, but not really constructive. But the twist is you are going to improvise fish style around one of your favorite talking points. You get to say exactly one sentence and only one sentence that you have ever said before. And then allow yourself to form all new thoughts around that central pillar. It does not have to be poetic. You will be dazzled by the brilliance that just falls out of your mouth when you let yourself go in to a blissful, ranty flow. Seriously, 90% of my clients' books have been named this way. It just falls out of you. What you say also doesn't need to dazzle or appeal to the masses, commercial radio style. Remember, this is fish. Find a genuine way to make one point to one person. And then for heaven's sake, step back, take a deep breath and listen truly and fully to their response. Hey, thanks for listening. If this episode kept you laughing and learning, I have two requests for you. First, make sure you hit that subscribe or follow button, depending on your platform, so you never miss an episode. And also, more importantly, if you are looking for support, inspiration, networking, collaborations, or just a chance to hang out with me, Annie P. Ruggles, and our fantastic guests, make sure that you are a member of our LinkedIn community, The Legitimati. It is a weird and wonderful place. I can't even believe it's on LinkedIn, and we want you there. You'll find the link in the show notes. Big shout out, as always, to the fabulous dudes who helped me make this show. My producer and editor, Andrew Sims of Hypable Impact. My theme composer, Riley Horbacio. And my show art creator, Francois Vigno. See you next time. <laughs>